The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. A fight of that size couldn't get this deep into space on its own. He must have gotten lost in part of a convoy or something. Well, he ain't going to be around long enough to tell anyone about us. Look at him, he's heading for that small moon. Think I can get him before he gets there. Almost in range. That's no moon. That's the Dark Times podcast. Welcome back to the Dark Times podcast. We got a big agenda today. A big agenda. There's work to be done today. I'm Steven. I I can't believe finally after 15 episodes, this podcast is getting political. We're getting the Steven's got his big agenda ready (laughs) to roll out (laughs) on this podcast. Oh, man. Oh, no. We're dusting out our dirty laundry here in the Dark Times. And I think. And and I'm popping quarters in the washing machine. (laughs) Great. So, Sam, last week we did a newbie episode. We did a level one character building episode and uh, we got some some pretty great feedback and I thought we'd highlight that right now. As long as it's helpful feedback. Like, I don't want to hear that I was too phlegmy last episode. No, they they actually, we got a few emails. We got like five emails about how phlegmy you were. Release the phlegmy cut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, just a, a little literalist, of course, usually provides us a, a large swath of feedback and we, we love we love hearing it every episode. Um, there was one thing I wanted to point out. Friend of the show, little friend of the show. He's little been on the show, little literally. He's been on the show. You might as well be the third dark timer. You know. Well, hold on. <laughs> Let's the dark timers. Dark I don't like timer. that. Yeah, or the dark timers. <laughs> Makes us sound geriatric. Yeah, it I think. Does. All right. So, what is, what is among what many things, yeah. uh, little literalist says, Sam. Why did you mention Batman when tapping a stormtrooper on the shoulder as opposed to? <laughs> Han Solo. While we were recording the episode, I was wondering the same thing, and I couldn't think of... I was so angry, and it happened so quick, I couldn't think of a polite way to point out to you that I was talking about a very iconic moment in Return of the Jedi when the best plan General Han Solo thinks to execute is running up to a scout trooper and tapping him on the shoulder. Listen... You brought up Batman. I was thinking about... I don't know why, but... The, the You're thinking I, of the... the well, no... The, See, sorry, I was thinking more about stealthing. Oh, okay. Like someone turns around and Batman's not there because okay. he's, he's stealthed away. Okay. I wasn't thinking created a version to hide. I was thinking the okay. other applications of stealth. Okay, that's that's. But good. that makes sense. Yes. But he doesn't hide. He just taps him on the shoulder and attacks him. So, <laughs> so if anything, your your reference was just incorrect. Okay, yeah, so I'm wrong. You brought yeah. up Batman on a Star Wars podcast, but I'm still well, wrong. You're in the wrong. <laughs> Very good. We got a few more here. Um, Little Literalist brought up everyone rolling a stat array, and then by mutual, I don't know, is mutual consent the right word? (laughs) But uh, everyone at the table agrees what would be a good stat array for a character, including the Game Master's uh, um, discretion. I like that. I like that. Yeah, I think that's pretty fun. Because then you definitely don't get... Exactly. You don't get a crappy one, and you don't get a one that's way too good either. You don't get Tinkle Shitlord, the scoundrel. Sorry, you were taking a drink when I said that. Yeah, holy shit. I almost sprayed tea everywhere. My God. Yeah, you don't get like cool Jedi Mace, like Mace Windu's brother, and then Tinkle Shitlord, the, the Hobbit, in my Star Wars campaign. Wow. Yeah. No, you hit the nail on the head. I don't think I have anything to contribute there. Um,. Lilithos <laughs> also pointed out that he he prefers to have players pick a species and a class and then assign their attributes from there. 
Uh, we agree. That's Absolutely. how we do it. Uh, we yeah. just we're following the core rule book that episode. But yeah, that's, that's I, I, me- I think I mentioned it. In the episode that I do I like to do that first. I think you did too, yeah. Um, absolutely, that's that's how we run it. Um, he brought up a couple, like, follow-up noob questions, uh, not of, of his own, speaking of what, what someone may ask, of course. He says, but Steven, it makes sense for the Force training uh, to be on the Jedi bonus feat list. Why isn't it on there? It's a great question. You would get so many Force powers if you did this. You would get way too many. It's definitely just for balance reasons. Absolutely. There's that Force Prodigy homebrew class that's well-known, pretty controversial. Uh, One of the reasons why it's controversial is because Force training is on its bonus feat list, and it quickly becomes a problem. Um, If you don't believe me, roll one up right now. Roll up a Jedi or a Force Prodigy with Force <laughs> training on the bonus feat list, and then versus without, yeah, yeah, of versus course. without, and then look back on your work, and and you'll see why it might be because they'll take because they'll just take it every time, every chance There's they get. Hardly any reason not to take it anytime you you get a chance to. That's Force powers are a big fucking deal. And then his other follow up noob question was, "What are these Force powers you mentioned? How do I get those?" Totally meant to bring this up in the episode. I didn't. Okay. We didn't build a level one Jedi on the episode, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. Well, you did, but you didn't. Yeah, I did, (laughs) and I forgot to bring this up. Obviously, if you're unsure, you get Force powers by taking the Force training feat. That was the level one feat I took for that Jedi. Her name was, last name, Onari. Um, Can't remember her. Tila Onari, yeah. yeah. Tila Onari took her first level feat, Force training, and those grant you Force powers one plus your wisdom modifier. And the best early level Force power is... Uh, pyrokinesis. Is that what it is? Uh, I'd say move objects more move so object? than pyro- oh, yeah. pyrokinesis. is good, but then it quickly becomes not great. That's why I said it's good first yeah, level. Yeah, it's great for first <laughs> level. Um, absolutely. We got a, another... Uh, oh, oh, yes, and he, he asked for more advanced tips and tricks during character creation for the next episode, creating at higher levels, uh, how even numbers of attributes are good to shoot for, because that's when modifiers increase, how multiclassing is beneficial for many builds... Uh, these are absolutely things we would include in a follow-up to our previous episode, which, based on the feedback we've gotten, I think we should necessary. do, because there's a lot of people who actually want to see <laughs> a leveling the what's up, next. Leveling yeah. up and also creating characters at higher levels. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are topics we'll, we'll definitely revisit, maybe as soon as next week. We'll send the Jawas out to to um to kind of recover some bits of information and salvage some knowledge for next episode <laughs> Abs- for our leveling up. Absolutely. Got another email from Al. Uh, Al, I'm going to bridge parts of your email here just because tight, tight app. Uh, HP calculating on level up. Currently in the core rulebook, you roll a hit die plus con mod, minimum one. There's always the unlucky side of rolling, and Al wants to know how we feel about rolling HP versus using the Dawn of Defiance rules, or even, he says, the 5E rules uh, for leveling up, where you just add, I believe it's one plus the average die roll, I think, for uh Was that for Dawn of Defiance? I believe Dawn of Defiance introduced that. Yeah, Don Defiance introduced a, a more concrete method uh, for getting hit points. Nobles and Scoundrels get 4 plus their con mod each level. Scouts get 5 plus their con mod. Jedi oh, and Soldiers okay. get 7 plus their con mod. And that's slightly above average that's, for those That's for those quite a bit dice. above yeah. average, yeah, for those dice. Um, what I do and what I know Steven does when we make characters at higher levels is we just do average. Yeah, plus we do die average plus con mod, which seems to work pretty yeah. well, too. Don Defiance definitely is scaled for more um, more heroic heroes. So like, Absolutely. Cause, cause the point buy is bigger and also... The hit the hit dice are going to be bigger, hundred percent. And up. since that's likely going to be someone's first saga edition adventure, either as a player or a game master, that that makes sense. I think um, you can probably do whatever you want with those HP die um, over the course of an entire campaign. 
even if they roll shitty, you're probably going to roll pretty great the next level. Odds yeah. are. Uh, um, law averages, baby. Yeah, if you, uh, if you roll one every level, then, um, gosh, stay away from the lottery or something. The only know. thing I could think of would be make sure all players and the GM are okay with this method of rolling yeah, HP increases. Of course, that's the I'd hate for thing. someone to do dice rolls and someone else to do, what do the Dawn of Science ones that give me higher than yeah, average no. HP on level ups? Or maybe they're using Saga Forge or some other character creator that tends to to not roll it out for them and just does a die average or something like that. Yeah, yes. those are those are things to look out for. But yeah, no, the rolling HP should be fine as long as everyone's on the same page. The big thing about HP uh, rolling, of course, if you want more control over those odds, maybe put some points in a con. There you go. Increase your con modifier. It's not the dump stat that Steven says it is. It is, though, but yeah. But it doesn't have to be. It can be a good stat. It can be your top three of stats. Hey, you know, great argument against my feelings on con. Con does influence your HP. What else does it influence? Your damage threshold. Absolutely. And that's the money, baby. Great for tank-style builds. Anything like soldier, elite trooper, stuff like that. Of course. You want to have a decent con. Al wants to know our thoughts on respecting characters during the campaign. I'm in a group right now, and only a few of us have Swissy experience. And while I have my character built all the way to 20, almost everyone does their thing level by level, which is fine because our GM is pretty lenient and lets us respect if we want. Everyone has taken advantage of it at least once. Yeah, um, respecting is great, um, though not really outlined, especially in the core rule book. I think the Jedi Holocron covers some some respecking. Um, but yeah, I, I I allow it. I think it's a great way to keep the game fun. I don't want players to be stuck with a build that they're not 100% happy with. Absolutely. Like locking a player into a, a character they're not jazzed about is a great way to get them to leave. I think my, a good rule of thumb, IMHO, is yeah. going to be one respec per player. Yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, preferably before level seven or something like totally. that. Totally, especially when they're new and uh, Al goes on to ask about prestige classes. Like how, how do we get new players to plan around a prestige class? Do we get new players to plan around a prestige class? I usually hold off the prestige class conversation until about level three or four. And I'm like, hey, guys, there's these things called prestige classes. Yeah. Um, most players pick one they like and then build towards that if they want to. As we all know, you can take a soldier or whatever all the way to level 20, and it's great. And I think it depends on the campaign style. Yeah, of if course. you're doing a one shot, like it might be better just to make a super multi-class character, not a prestige class character. Totally. Absolutely. I've uh, seen that plenty of times. But even more experienced players, for example, for your zero distance campaign, I just respect my level exactly. five character. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, it's it's a campaign focused on piloting. Yeah. And a sort of foreign, at least to me as a player, part of the game system. Yeah. And there's thing I took things where I'm like, oh, this would be cool. But in actuality, it's not something that's super useful. It doesn't come up super often. Yeah, on paper, you loved your character. And then when it came time to sit down and play Atorn, you were like, oh, actually, I would tweak a couple things. Yeah. And, you know, as your game master, what was I going to do? I was going to say, no. And I'm the idiot who <laughs> made a Mandalorian that didn't have armor training at all. You made a Mandalorian with demand surrender and no armor proficiency. <laughs> <laughs> pilot, pilot, yeah, by the way. And, and a pilot, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I egg on my face, but I I, res, I respect him to level one soldier, everything else noble. Yeah, no, that way he gets those proficiencies. And it's kind of a silent rule I, I have. I don't really advertise that I allow respects. I kind of wait for people to come to me yeah, with respects, or I look for the signs that a player wants to respect. Um, it's easy to tell when a player is ready to move on from their current build. They're frustrated. Maybe they even say out loud how much they hate their damn build. For sure, um, and yeah. especially if they feel like that they're not getting the full use of their turn yeah. like other players are like a action economy ultimately yeah like oh i just don't know what to do here like exactly these are the signs that someone's ready for respec and there's no reason to limit 
respects, unless someone's clearly doing it for like munchkin cheesy reasons. But but preferably keep the respec in story. Yeah, like accurate. If, you're not going to respec into Jedi or out no, of Jedi. No, preferably. you're not. You you're can multi class, but you still at least have a couple levels of Jedi in there. Or something. And don't like don't let your players change their species. No, definitely like, not. That's going to be a new character, hundred percent. If they want to play a new character, though, that's also okay. 100%. Always. Um, time totally skips are a great yeah. like narrative device to kind of introduce these big changes without actually having to think too hard about the specifics of them. You can just say there's a six-month time skip due to whatever reason. Uh, Jimmy Johnson picks up rifle proficiency in that time because he has time to yeah, train into it. It's been or, five years. Yeah, exactly. Um, I also particularly like planned character deaths. Yes. Uh, which is definitely more... Of an advanced uh, GM tool and yeah. player tool, for and not at all necessary every time. No, never. <laughs> not, it doesn't have to be character death. It could be yeah. character wound, yeah. and they're in a coma or something like that. You exactly. can pull Finn and take him out for half a movie. Precisely, <laughs> <laughs> man. <laughs> oh, don't. I, I think that covers it. Al, uh, please let us know if there's yeah. anything else. We're definitely going to go over more leveling up stuff and starting at higher levels. In yeah, the I think the episode. level two episode is is warranted. I wasn't sure if we should do it, but it looks like you guys think we should. And like we always say, it's your podcast as much as it's ours. Absolutely. Always write in with any feedback or anything. We are happy to take any sort of uh, idea you have and run with it. Yeah. Sam, we're finally here. Let, let the trumpets blare. Who asked for this, Stephen? And who do we need to apologize to? A lot of people asked for this, actually. Really? You may recall- More than I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Champion Corn, Nate, if you're still out there, if you're still listening. Yeah, I hope we all, haven't scared you off by not yeah. talking about this topic. Um, you gave us a big list of like 12 big topics to cover in the podcast. We have since covered every single one except for point number 11 Destiny, the black sheep, the dark horse, the redheaded stepchild of our podcast, yeah. Destiny system, and then our first, very first patron, uh, Eschatonia, Eschatonia, also reached out to me, and actually, I lost the Discord DM. I don't know where it went. Like, did you did you delete your Discord, my friend? I don't know where it went. I cannot find it. But which is why we ask for use the email prefer. Yes, yes, use the email. Well, we can never lose anything if you email to us. I I couldn't find the Discord message, but anyway. We're here. We're finally going to talk about Destiny. Why am I scared of Destiny? I'll, let me tell you a story. <laughs> oh, I'm excited for this. Be me, you know. You're telling it in green text form. All right, maybe is. we're not telling it in green text form. <laughs> Years ago, I'm picking up the Saga Edition Core Rulebook in my little trembly hands. I'm so excited. I can barely wrap my head around the system. It's my first RPG. These are ideas that are new to me and have struggled to fit in my little brain. I turn to the Destiny section. It seems like a pretty big deal, like a core core mechanic, a core component of this very wonderful game. First thing I read, these rules are optional. I'm like, cool, and I turn right past them. <laughs> that's why... I'm out! Yeah. That's why. <laughs> and because I never got used to it in those very formative days of my first time with the core rulebook, I never thought to go back and look at them. Later on, this problem continued, fueled by the background system, which said, hey, don't worry about destinies. Here's something that's more traditional for RPGs, something that's easier to wrap your little brain around. Don't worry about destinies. Just tell your players to pick a background. I'm like, great. I'll just continue along this path forevermore. But then I got this great idea. Well, Sam got this great idea to start this damn podcast. And now everyone's (laughs) asking me questions. 
about Saga Edition, and everyone wants to know how Steven feels about this. Is Destiny. your Pepe Sylvia moment? This isn't is my it? Pepe Sylvia moment. God, buckets full of destiny. There's the episode title right there. Steven's buckets full of destiny. Buckets full of destiny. Don't don't put my name attached to that. Buckets full of destiny. Sure. So, my dear listeners, my dear Sam, through this twist of fate, through this twist of destiny. Now I am brought to face my fear. What a wicked web we weave. Indeed. <laughs> so, like I said earlier, destiny rules are completely optional. But I think, I think they deserve to be at the table. I think they're a great set of rules. And after the deep dive I've done on my own, I think I'll be including them in my next adventure. Because I just think they're that neat. Let's get right into it. Star Wars is destiny, and destiny is Star Wars, Sam. Think back to Darth Vader. Luke, it is your destiny. He chose those words for a reason. That is a very specific thing to say. Saying destiny evokes a belief in fate, a belief that things happen for a reason, perhaps along a predetermined line of cause and effect. George Lucas's thoughts... When <laughs> you, when you say George, yeah. when we bring up George Lucas on this podcast, we know we're either going to roast him or we're going to like say something profound that we can't believe he said. <laughs> <laughs> George Lucas's creative thoughts surrounding Star Wars are very tied to these ideas of fate, the will of the Force. George Lucas seems to believe that Star Wars is the stage for what is actually a background slurry of galactic forces influencing events of daily lives. Uh, on and off, so on and so forth. For sure, for sure. I can see that. And that is represented in Swissy through the Destiny system. Can I say really quick, yeah, I think ahead. George Lucas is in my ideal blunt rotation. I think you're right. <laughs> I think so, too. I, I agree. I agree. I, I honestly, I, I still, you know, we joke, but I yearn to meet him one day. And, and smoke, pass him the bleed from Destiny. Yeah, and, and, and buff the boo-boo with him if necessary. <laughs> buff the boo-boo up on Skywalker Ranch, for real. <laughs> Like we've talked about last episode, the adventure these heroes are undertaking is their life-defining event. Same as it was for Han Solo, Chewbacca, to a lesser extent Obi-Wan, but, I mean, too, he completed his destiny when he faced Vader in a For sure. Um, and, of course, did I already say Luke? Luke, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the galaxy will make its mark on the hero, and the hero will make their mark on the galaxy. This life-defining event will change the hero and change the galaxy when they achieve their destiny. So destinies are strictly the realm of heroes. Like I keep saying, non-heroes can have destinies, but strictly in the superficial sense, like for story reasons, like maybe it's a non-heroic character's destiny to, I don't know, open a supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Non-heroic destiny, destinies are a thing in the sense that everyone has goals they wish to achieve and changes they wish to see in their own world. But Capital D destinies are for the realm of players. Players can choose destinies from a list, more on that later, or GMs can assign secret destinies to player characters. Uh, with player-chosen destinies, the core rulebook recommends that GMs challenge players by making them choose between what's best for the party or taking steps to fulfill their destiny. Now, when I read that, I'm like, whoa. Like, when we play RPGs, we think every action the player's should take should be in the service of the party. Alternatives don't often work out well. Like it's, it takes a, you know, a lot of players who know each other well to f execute something like a, a party betrayal 
Without descending into a full-blown RPG horror story. Uh, I can think of Obi-Wan going to face Vader. Absolutely. Is that the best thing for the party, for him to face Vader on his own? No. No, but it is his destiny. Absolutely. Luke leaving Dagobah to go to Bespin. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Is he choosing his destiny or is he choosing the party? I think he's choosing the party. I love that. There's a theory that Darth Vader specifically tortures Han and Leia in order to send their emotions back in time to Luke on Dagobah. And I'm, that's one of those things where I'm not even sure, like, the theory, the line between, like, theory and just straight up, like, how the Force works is, like, blurred. Because, of course, Darth Vader knows that pain emotions can be felt through wide ranges in the Force. This is a Clone Wars veteran we're talking about. For sure. And, of course, he's going to exploit that knowledge to lure out Luke. It's classic. Um, yeah, I think that would be a good opportunity of Luke... Uh, Choose not choosing his destiny, which does have real penalties. Luke had real penalties for not choosing his destiny in that moment. He lost his fucking hand and learned <laughs> the sure. ultimate truth, the absolutely you know mind-boggling reality that his father was Darth Vader. Fuck, those are some consequences. Um, so th- there's a lot of spice to be had when a player is enticed to choose the destiny over the party, and I, I think we can explore exactly what those enticements look like in just a little bit. Um, there's also, like I said, secret destinies where the game master, unknowing to the players, assigns each of them a destiny of their own. I'd like to call this pinata mode. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it forces the players through a, an era of, of self-discovery. Players have to test the waters. They have to try one thing, see how it relate, how the GM reacts. Try another thing, see how the GM reacts to try and entice out how their what their destiny is. Because, okay, because the players, like characters in Star Wars, don't know their destiny. Exactly. But, like Luke Skywalker, everyone around him seems to know what his fucking destiny is, and he's trying (laughs) to use that against him. Exactly. Luke learns his destiny through the challenges he's presented with, and that's exactly what the core rulebook recommends we do. The GM must present challenges to let the player move closer to their destiny, imparting benefits when the player moves in the right direction, and penalties when the player moves away from their destiny. Right back to the Empire Strikes Back example with Luke. Luke moved away from his destiny and suffered for it. So these aren't like mechanical penalties. These are... They are, and you will see in a second what they are, because they are actually pretty cool. Pretty cool. Mechanical penalties and mechanical boons. I like that this this sort of optional rule set for the destiny system really kind of blends the line between story-based... Uh, progression and like mechanics based progression. I exactly. Feel like. We talk about how FFG, the, the fantasy flight star Wars puts a lot of control over the story in the player's hands. Saga edition has that too. It's just here in the destiny system, which is a little less intuitive to use than some fancy fucking dice. Yeah. It's a little more mechanical in that sense. Bit more crunchy, which, Hey, we love that here. Well, um, it's a 3.5 system. <laughs> <laughs> I call it pinata mode because the players, for a bit, are going to be blindly swinging at their destiny. Okay, that makes more sense. Yes. <laughs> and that has the potential for friction between game master and player. An underprepared game master might not be able to suss out the right hints. I was intimidated by the destiny system for a long time because I didn't have faith in myself as a storyteller to sprinkle in those hints as effectively as maybe players would expect. Um, if this is done well, it isn't going to be obvious. It, it plain isn't. It's going to be very nebulous as the players further and further kind of funnel into their destiny. But nothing makes you feel better as a game master than your players lighting up and realizing 
oh, that's how it works. Like something like that. It's great. It's great. And I, I'm going to point to some old, uh, an old Order 66 piece of wisdom here because when a player moves away from their destiny, you're expected to give them a penalty. And the penalty varies per destiny, but we'll, we'll get to that in just a bit. If in the shoes of the player, this sounds kind of frustrating to me when I'm doing what I think is right. And because it doesn't conform to the secret destiny, I don't know anything about. I'm going to get a penalty to my attacks. I'm going to get a penalty to my force points, a penalty to my defenses. That sucks. So Order 66 suggested that if you think it's necessary, apply the destiny penalties and bonuses when spending a destiny point in service of your destiny or against your destiny. Okay. If that makes sense. So, so not just overall, like not every time it happens, just oh, when you, it, yeah. you order the Java juice. So yeah. yeah, you get a minus one to all attacks because your destiny is to free the Jawas from the juice factory. Exactly. <laughs> In a Wonka esque style. <laughs> See, that's a great example. It's hilarious, but no, you're completely right. Um, now, if I, that same player spent a destiny point to, I don't know, uh, uh, burn down yeah. <laughs> a Jawa juice manufacturing distributing depot. Exactly. <laughs> then give them the destiny penalty. <laughs> or the bonus, I guess. Or the then- bonus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But absolutely. Um, that, that is, and that I think is a great idea. I think that works well. Um, if you have patient players who know you well, and you're pretty confident in your storytelling ability, maybe you don't need to provide this alternative rule, but if you're a little nervous about, any sort of potential friction here. And I think there's a good potential for friction here. Then maybe only introduce the destiny penalties and bonuses when they spend a destiny point in service or cutting against the grain of their own destiny. A character with a destiny gains short-term benefits whenever they make significant progress towards fulfilling it. While a character who pursues goals that move them further away from their destiny suffers short-term negative effects. Conversely, of course, a character without a destiny has nothing to gain and nothing to lose. That's how we've been playing, baby. So what kind of benefits and drawbacks to the Destiny system provide? Are those dependent on the Destiny itself? They are actually specific to the Destiny. But do they, are they like down permanent persistent condition down the condition track? Like, or? I, like I said, these are purely short-term things. Uh, most of them last for 24 hours or so. I was going to get into them more when we touch more on specific Destinies. But for example, the Destruction Destiny, um, the Destiny penalty for destruction is you get a minus two penalty on all damage rolls for 24 hours. Okay. When you uh, make progress towards your destiny, you get the destiny bonus for destruction. That's you and any allies within 10 squares of you get a plus two destiny bonus to damage rolls. So you can kind of see how this works. These okay, are I like 24 it. hour yeah. sh- minor bonuses, but they're a clear indication of, of your progress. In the long destiny. haul, the bonuses don't make that big a difference, but they do help players be driven towards that that story beat that you're trying to work them towards with destinies. Exactly. They're hints. They're hints. I like that. And there is pretty substantial long-term bonuses when you fulfill a destiny, but I don't want to talk about those until we talk about destiny. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and one more point. Uh, from level 1 to 20, though you may not expect it, you should expect a hero to fulfill more than one destiny. That's totally possible and, in fact, encouraged. You start play at level 1 with just one destiny point, and you get one every time you level up. Okay. A level 5 character who has spent no destiny points has five. They don't, rec- you know, so you don't regain destiny points any, any time except no, it's not, when you level up. Yeah, it's not like force points where you lose them all and then gain back a new sum. It's you just. They're cumulative. Uh, they're cumulative. And then you can only hold as many destiny points as levels. So that same fifth level character with five destiny points, they can't gain another destiny point until they level up. Okay. Well, 
I guess they wouldn't anyway, right? Unless but, yeah. unless your GM is being so gracious as to grant hand them out willy nilly, yeah, I don't which think that really happens. That, that probably doesn't happen a whole lot. I'd fool around with that once or twice, and it it worked kind of. And it's just we weren't playing with the Destiny rules back then either. But. Destiny point well because of what Destiny points can do for players, they're great in a sense of. Uh, the way hero points work in Pathfinder 2E, where yeah. you can spend one to Good reroll reward. an attack or something like that. Yeah. It's a reward for players to do something selfless or something heroic or anything like that. And that's a perfect segue to what I wanted to talk about, is what do Destiny points do? Well, spending a Destiny point takes no actions, so it just happens. It's not part of the action economy. You can automatically score a critical hit with no attack roll required. You can automatically cause an attack made against you to miss even after the attack is resolved. That includes crits against you, baby. You can act out of turn, just changing your position on the initiative track, which, holy shit. Oh, that one's great. I love That's that That's why one. I wrote Yowza next to that one on the show <laughs> notes, because Yowza. Take damage that would otherwise harm another character within your reach. Another good heroic moment there. Increase the effect of some force powers, as noted in their descriptions. Uh, we won't be getting into that specifically, but it's, it's really cool to take a look at that. Or immediately gain three force points. Wah, wah. I mean, that's good if you're a Jedi, I if guess. If you have a build that benefits from just apps burning those force points rapidly, then maybe you could do something pretty crazy. Nothing comes to mind right now that would actually make and that worth it. And even if you have a build that's like that, you probably have things that let you get temporary force points. Yeah, you probably have force point recovery. You probably have force boon. There's other things. There's the, the one There's better uses for destiny point. A hundred percent. And a lesser known, uh, make sure you run this one by your GM before you try it. Uh, since I believe it's in um, Scum and Villainy, maybe, or perhaps Scavenger's Guide to Druids. It might be Scavenger's Guide. Might be Scavengers. Uh, spend a Destiny Point to survive death and return as a cyborg hybrid. General Grievous style. <laughs> or Anakin Skywalker style. Or Anakin style. Skywalker style. I like the idea that that, that was a choice that they made. <laughs> I, yeah, like, Anakin's like, uh Anakin's player's like, I guess I'll, instead of making the last attack miss. Yeah. <laughs> he chooses to, yeah, because like, isn't that. He's overconfident. He was yeah. brash. He's oh. like, oh, I don't need these Destiny Point to make the attack. Miss, uh, I'm just going to come back to the cyborg hybrid. Yeah, exactly. Hilarious. Hilarious. Uh, and also, I'm pretty sure General Grievous willingly became a cyborg hybrid. Yeah, I don't he think wanted it to be, he was like not done fighting, I think, right? <laughs> like he was ready to, he wanted to keep killing. Oh man, he's great. He is. Uh, yep, character may accumulate as many destiny points as their level. Fifth level character can have max five destiny points. Um, when you fulfill a destiny, uh, a hero can keep all of their destiny points or transfer some or all of them to their allies. You cannot give more than one destiny point to an ally and destiny points can't be spent until the hero acquires another destiny. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so okay. if you fulfill that creation destiny, say you um, pioneer the a t- new type of starfighter for the rebellion, you fulfill that destiny. You say you've got three destiny points remaining. You can hand one out to up to three of your friends or for, keep them. Uh, an example we've seen in Star Wars, Harrison Dula uh, helping pilot and finalize the B-Wing. Absolutely. That's definitely a, a destiny. I was going to ask for... Uh, Good guy, because the book only gives, like, bad guy examples of the creation destiny. I'm like, what, what are the good guys of the creation destiny? But yeah, Harrison Dula in the uh, in the Disney canon telling of the origins of the B-Wing, she's instrumental in its completion. Um, and that that's a great example. Uh, you could do Erica Quell forming Alphabet Squadron. Yes. Creation of a group. 
Absolutely. Could also be a good example. That's a that's destiny. a champion destiny. Oh really? Yeah, they got one for that. Fucking excuse me. I'll yeah. just the I'll cre- back off. The creation <laughs> destiny is specifically like a physical object you can touch. Oh, okay. Yeah, the champion one is like you you create a cause, a group of creation of a holocron. Yeah, maybe. Oh man, isn't that a um? That's a great creation uh, for destiny. sure. Can't, doesn't the holocron list like a, a a maybe maybe I'm just thinking of that specifically. Oh, I'm thinking of the four secret. Yeah, but yeah, the a creation of a holocron is. I've got one. Yeah, what's up? Uh, uh, Jedi Master Cordova. I can't remember his first name from Fallen Order. Oh, yeah. He creates the holocron that has all the Force sensitive children on it. Yes, indeed. That's definitely a destiny. Absolutely. And even discovery of that holocron is another destiny, of maybe for our buddy Cal Kestis. We should get him on the show. Get Cal Kestis on the show? It was uh, his name, Cameron Monaghan, is that it? Something like that. I th- I bet I could ask him. I bet, I bet we could get it. I think we get him in. I want. I can't wait for that follow up to to Fall in Order. I'm really excited. I really Ooh. like the first one. That'd be nice. Okay. Um, I've seen a lot of GM. Maybe I'm dead wrong on this. I've seen a lot of game masters concerned about players banking their destiny points until the final showdown with the big bad. Um, similar sentiments for force points as well. I think that's a great thing. Um, Star Wars, time and time again, we see. This crazy batshit, you know, one in the million stuff happen in the final showdown with the big bad, like Rogue One, both for Jyn Erso and for Darth Vader. Absolutely. Those seem to be very Destiny Point heavy endings for, for well, not an ending for very Vader, but it's an ending for everyone else in the room. For sure. I bet uh, Vader picking up and throwing Palpatine's probably a Destiny Point right there. 100%. That's Redemption, baby. Or not Redemption. Um, Luke got the Redemption Destiny for that one. Uh, I think Vader... Yeah, Vader's an example of the destruction destiny for that instance. Uh, which is there a destiny? So since Anakin is the chosen one to bring balance to the Force, yeah, is that a destiny? Like, ba- like a balanced destiny or something like that? Because destroying the last Sith, other than himself, <laughs> bringing the amount of Sith and Jedi in the universe back to one and one, yeah, does bring balance to the Force. That that does that does ring that does ring true with me. I think you can make several justifications for what is ultimately Anakin Skywalker's destiny in, in Swissy terms. I feel like I saw a chosen one homebrew destiny. That was just hilarious. Let me see. I'm here. sure that's something you could make. Like, the, oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, destinies yeah. aren't specific to what's available in the books or on the wiki. Right. Of course. There, there, you make your own, yeah, obviously. absolutely. There is a homebrew chosen one destiny. Take a look at that. If you want to, don't An- you dare let a player use Anakin those. could also creation destiny, his pod racer. Absolutely. Go. Absolutely. Um, let's see here. But yeah, sorry, back to that, that big bad. Yeah, if you're worried about your players banking their destiny points until the final fight with the big bad, I don't think that's a concern. If you're concerned about them just spamming him with destiny points and completely obliterating him, give that big bad some destiny points of his own. Absolutely. Why shouldn't he have them? Absolutely. We see Darth Vader use a distance force power to kill random admirals exactly. in Star Wars. And Ex- those cost a destiny point to do. <laughs> Um, the stat blocks for both the Emperor and Darth Vader do come with, I think, one or two destiny points. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Uh, I think maybe Darth Crate has like three or something. So it's it's viable yeah. for those things for those enemies and those big beds to have destiny points. Hundred percent. Because those characters, you probably have heroic levels, and 100%. they would have destinies. Yeah, they're they are beings in the galaxies with goals and dreams that they want to see manifest. So they they got fucking destinies, buddy. Be. <laughs> There's probably no better feeling than a, a player saving their destiny points, auto critting that boss, and then you say, "Cool, he spends a destiny point to say no damage." Bye bye. Absolutely. I, I 
I do like players saving their destiny points for uh, the big fight. Yeah. Because that's sick as hell. It's going to crank up the drama. But I also feel like there's going to be moments that they're going to use them outside of that big fight. There's going to be other moments escaping the Sarlacc pit or blowing up the Death Star. If you're challenging them, they're going to be forced to use them. Exactly. And then at that point, it comes down to a balancing issue. Yes. Being a GM is the juggling of writing and fantasy for sure. 100%. You got to keep all those balls in the air, all those destiny points in the air. Don't Even, laugh when I said balls, Steven. Don't laugh. <laughs> sorry, I laughed when you said balls. <laughs> so, destinies. There's there's a good number of them. There's corruption, destruction, discovery, education, redemption, rescue. Those are the core rulebook ones. And then Force Unleashed adds creation, champion, liberation. And then some honorable mentions I'll touch on a bit later are Starship Linked and the Legacy Destiny. So I wanted to take a close look at just a few of these destinies, Sam, just so everyone's familiar with, with, I just kind of randomly picked a few of them. Uh, Destruction. We talked about earlier. Destiny bonus for 24 hours. You and any allies within 10 squares of you get a plus two destiny bonus on all damage rolls. The destiny penalty, you get a minus two penalty on all damage rolls for 24 hours. When they fulfill their destiny, increase one ability score of your choice by two. Whammo. Look at that. Vader's Destruction of the Emperor is an example given by the Core Rulebook. I want to bring up Jyn Erso here. Would you say Galen Erso's implementation of the the fault in the Death Star would be a destruction destiny? I, I think so. We, we, I, I wrote down Jyn Erso, but then I got to thinking, I was like, Jyn Erso wasn't alive to physically destroy the Death Star or even see its destruction. It's definitely a discovery or something I, That's like why that. I thought discovery, because discovery mentions... Your destiny is to discover a person, species, object, or location that was either previously lost or unknown to the galaxy. I think Generoso is making a discovery of the Death Star plans. Maybe. Yeah. If you if you have a justification for, for Generoso's destiny, please write in. I want to know. Uh, there's Redemption. This one seems pretty classic. Destiny bonus, you get a force point. Destiny penalty, you lose a force point. If you have no force points to lose, you take a minus one penalty on attack rolls until you gain a level. Whoa. Ow. Ow. Ouch. That's ow, rough. Ow. Ow. Because that can probably stack, right? I bet it could. It says, it doesn't say it's a destiny penalty. It says it's an untyped penalty. So that's probably stacking, baby. Wild. Um, the destiny fulfilled. And this one, this one's a little wonky. So, so hold, hold my hand on this one, Sam. Okay. The dark side score of the redeemed character is reduced to one. Nice. And they lose any remaining force points. Cool. You gain a number of force points equal to three plus the number of force points the redeemed character lost. Sounds great until you think about it. You fulfilled the destiny. The guy with the destruction destiny gets to fulfill, gets to raise his charisma, let's say, by two permanently. You get a bundle of force points that you're going to lose when you level up. That sucks, right? Mm. That's kind of a bummer. That's not a permanent boon. What's the conversion rate for force points to destiny points? It's three to one. <laughs> no, it's not. It's you spend one destiny point to get three force points. But it doesn't work the other way. It does not. Cannot. But could it in this sense? Could you adapt this destiny to be three plus the number of force points that was the redeemed character lost in destiny points? Maybe. However, you wouldn't be able to use those destiny points until you gathered another destiny. That's true. Maybe. That's not bad. Not bad. Um, rules is written. You lose force points when you level up. Order 66 had a suggestion to, to kind of fix this a little bit. They suggested maybe it's a special bank of force points that you don't lose when you level up and you can just feed off of until they're gone. 
if you think about you, if you're a heavy force point usage character, you yeah. have very little force point recovery, mm-hmm. then something like this, how how many sessions is it between level 15 and 16? Uh, quite a few. Then that's enough force points to cover it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, I want people to write in how, what they think about the res- about um, fulfilling the redemption destiny. As written, it seems a little kind of bunked to me. I don't really like it all that much, especially I think like the redemption destiny in Star Wars should be fucking cool. Absolutely, it should be amazing. It's all about redemption, baby. Um, the examples, of course, Luke Skywalker's redemption of his father, Darth Vader, Revan's redemption of Bastila Shan. Well, I, I yada, guess yada. I guess the the cool thing about it is that you redeem another character. That is the big thing: is you do move that guy's dark side score to one. We've talked about it's the how, only way to do it. Um, we we talked about using force points in the past to redeem characters from the dark side. Yeah. And it's very, it's very slow process. Yes, usually. It's hard, super hard to redeem a, a dark side user. So perhaps, you know, maybe, maybe the that's re- the bonus. Maybe the real bonus is the friends we made along the, the way. friends. I recovered along the way. <laughs> the dad I saved along the way. <laughs> that's true. It's, it's hard to, um, hard to imagine a better boon than, a than someone like Bastila Sean or, or your own father. Uh, the creation destiny. This is, we kind of talked about this one earlier. Destiny bonus, 24 hours. You and any allies within 10 squares of you gain a plus one destiny bonus on skill checks and ability checks. Real nice. Penalty, minus two on skill checks and ability checks for 24 hours. Destiny fulfilled. You or any ally within line of sight can spend two force points in a single round while performing an action using the created object. Wow. Kind of cool. Kind of specific. But it's assumed that whatever you're creating is going to f- like be a central role in the campaign. So it makes sense that that's a specific but very useful Bonus. It's. I think it's more useful when you think about how you can use one force point per round usually. Yes. As a reaction, and typically, you know, for me as a player, I like to save that force point for not dying. Yes, hundred <laughs> um, percent. The examples, classic. I kind of talked about the the core rule book doesn't have any good guy examples, but Grand Moff Tarkin and the creation of the Death Star, Wrath Sinar and the creation of the Tie Fighter, uh, both very very influential kind of galaxy changing creations. Um, you you brought up Harrison Dula. In Star Wars Rebels with B-Wing, I think that's a great, great example. Like I said, honorable mention, Starship Linked. Super cool. Think about Han Solo, Lando, and then both their mutual ties to the Millennium Falcon. Um, it enables several unique Destiny Point abilities that you can use with the vehicle of your choice. Um, the Legacy Destiny, uh, I'm not a big fan of this one, but it's out there. And if you want to take a look at it, I think you should. It kind of gives you additional rules and guidelines for tussling with a hero's family tree. You pick a legacy from a long list of established, uh, like you are a distant descendant of <laughs> one of them's one of them's Greedo. Really? <laughs> oh my! Yeah, yeah. My grandfather's brother was Gre- <laughs> my great uncle's Greedo. And there, there's um instead of um embracing or rejecting a destiny, you're embracing or rejecting kind of a, a family line, a family um Ray. We. <laughs> Uh, rejecting being a Palpatine uh-huh. and embracing uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Now I just want to right. see I want to see a recut of Rise of Skywalker where at the end when she buries the lightsabers on Tatooine it says destiny fulfilled in like the dark souls font <laughs> I want to see a cut of Rise of Skywalker where I can sit through it and enjoy it oh man all right we're not we're not going that route Death and destiny, Sam. Death and destiny. Hey, if your character's Force-sensitive and they die while fulfilling your destiny, well, guess what, baby? You're going to be blue. <laughs> no choice. Yeah, no choice. to be blue. You're blue. 
Uh, for- Unless you're Yoda, in which case eventually you become physical again for some reason. There was like a there was like a kind of a glowy halo. He wasn't blue. <laughs> I kind of wish he was blue. I liked that he wasn't blue. To be honest, I thought it was nice. Yeah, it's also great that he was uh, a puppet again. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I did like that he was a puppet. Force spirits have their own set of rules. Um, they become a GM controlled NPC to advise and guide those left behind. Uh, you you're incorporeal. You can't touch shit. You can only show up under certain circumstances. I think you might be able to impart bonuses here and then. To the like to an insight friends. bonus or something, yeah, like that. something like that. You should have. They, they've got their own rules. I think they're outlined in um, either. I think the Coral Book has some, and then there's more in the Jedi Academy training manual. Um, of course, the wiki is always there for you. Think about noble sacrifice. We all understand this is a mainstay of of like kind of heroic operatic storytelling. It's big in Dune, big in Star Wars, huge in Star Wars. Uh, where where the guy's like, I'm going to hold him off. You get away. Whenever a character willingly sacrifices themselves for a noble cause, particularly while fulfilling their destiny, they can bolster the resolve of their surviving comrades and allies. When a character dies fulfilling their destiny in such a way, all allies within the same star system gain a plus one destiny bonus on attack rolls and a plus one destiny bonus to their defenses for 24 hours. Okay, that's cool. Vengeance is another thing that can happen. When a valid ally, I love that phrasing, a valid ally, Falls in the pursuit of their destiny, it can have powerful effects on those present at the time of their death. When a character dies fulfilling their destiny, any ally who witnesses their death may choose to become filled with the desire to avenge their fallen comrade, getting a plus two destiny bonus on a damage and attack rolls for 24 hours. This revenge leads to the dark side. Any force user who chooses to gain these bonuses must immediately increase their dark side score by one. I feel like anyone should increase their dark side score by one. Not for just sure. force users there. Uh, and do note that does not stack with the noble sacrifice bonus as well. You are choosing to take a dark side uh, point to double that bonus to your attacks. That's interesting. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Um, so are these things where the DM would would choose what happens upon a character's death while fulfilling their destiny? Or Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be pretty circumstantial. I think it's one of those things where it's going to be obvious when a character makes a noble sacrifice. It's going to be obvious when a character wants to take vengeance. Um, okay, so you yeah. read the room. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I feel like it's well within a player's right to say, like, hey, do I get that destiny bonus for Jimmy's noble sacrifice? Absolutely. Tinkles died doing what he loved. <laughs> Bring Jawas from Bring Jawas, Jawas from, yeah. from Willy Wonka. <laughs> uh, Sam, there's an elephant in the room. We get it out of here. There's unleashed abilities. The Force Unleashed Core Rulebook. Introduced unleashed abilities. These are pretty cool. I like them a lot. Uh, they're a fun, funky way to spend those destiny points. Um, rules is written. You must have the unleashed feet and optionally uh, per GM's discretion, the force unleashed destiny, which the campaign guide actually clarifies is just the discovery. destiny. You're discovering the potential of the force inside yourself okay. in this way. Yeah. Um, Personally, if I, I would probably center a whole campaign around these, much like the Force Unleashed games. I'd probably toss out the feat requirement. It seems unnecessary. And I probably wouldn't do that destiny requirement either. Okay, okay. Yeah, just my personal Would preference. you let a player with permit would you would a player be able to take an unleashed feat the unleashed feat uh in a normal campaign? In a campaign not centered around it? No, that would this is another session zero thing. For me personally, I'd say, hey guys, we're using unleashed abilities. Is it because they're kind of overpowered uh, some of them aren't even all that powerful but many are i think it's more of a tone thing um that's fair yeah yeah you you know you're not doing the 
ha- hack and slash uh, Star Wars Force Unleashed ga- um, Star Killer vibe the whole time. That's Precisely. Sure. If I'm trying to play a more gritty kind of grounded story, I'm not going to be using Unleashed abilities at all. But if I'm ready for that high flying, high adventure, maybe do that thirty point buy campaign. That's why I'm busting out the unleashed abilities. Would you make uh, an enemy, an enemy character more powerful by giving them unleashed abilities? Hundred percent, absolutely. I think these are free range for a boss, and honestly, I think they can really make a boss fight super interesting. There's a lot of them that are they're really, really, really fascinating. There's force unleashed abilities, and there's kind of just regular unleashed abilities. Uh, I picked a, a small handful here just for. There's Unleashed Firepower, lets you attack five targets within range simultaneously. There's Unleashed Force Grip, you can maintain Force Grip for a number of rounds equal to half your Charisma modifier for no actions and no concentration. If you want to spice that one up a little bit, maybe make it your full Charisma modifier. Because you do have to spend a Destiny Point to use these abilities, right? Yes, indeed. Okay. Yes, indeed. It's a You spend the Destiny Point, and if you have the regular version of, say, Force Grip, then you can use Unleashed Force Grip. All right. Yeah. All right. I can see that. Yeah. You don't need to take a separate feat for each of these abilities. It's just that one unleashed feat that unlocks the ability to do so. Oh, I can see why someone would not want this in their games. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That one feat gives you a lot to work with. with well, kind of. Points. You still need the, the regular power to do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, that's so. And, you know, actually, I can think of a situation. If a player was really badgering me, say this is this guy is a Sam Witwer fanatic. He loves the Force Unleashed games. He wants to use these. Unleashed- I'm right here. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to use these Unleashed abilities more than anything in the game. And I'm not running that campaign. But he 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 needs it to happen. I'm going to say, all right, bucko. All right. All right. All right. Bingy. You want to say bitch really badly, didn't you? <laughs> I think I did. I don't know. <laughs> Take that feat. Take that destiny for, for, for using Unleashed abilities. Then... I'll let you use these unleashed powers, setting that bar up a little higher, make him work for it, make him invest in it before he starts, you know, blowing up five guys at once. They have to fulfill it of their existing destiny before they can even think about getting an unleashed destiny. Precisely. That's that's what I would do if I was running a more grounded campaign, but someone really wanted these unleashed powers. Uh, most of the time, though, I would be setting a tone of an entire campaign around these powers. Um, there's unleashed rage. Spend a destiny point at the start of your rage. This is the species rage. I don't believe this works with dark rage. Spend a destiny point at the start of your rage. Get plus 10 to attack rolls and damage rolls and plus 5 to your fortitude defense. Also, that's your damage threshold, too. That is insane. That isn't crazy. Yeah. Unleashed repulse. Targets affected by your repulse have a much harder time resisting. Move twice the distance and take 1d6 damage per square moved if they hit a larger object. Wow, okay. And I, I'd count like a wall as yeah, a large for object sure. in that Absolutely. case. Yeah. That is insane. So, yeah. Steven, I have a question. What's up? Regarding Destiny as a whole. Hmm. How do I as a player, so I fulfill a Destiny, right? Yes. What is the steps I take to get another Destiny? Is it the GM just decides I get a Destiny? They aren't really specifically outlined in the Destiny rules of how and when you get a new Destiny after fulfilling. In a secret Destiny game, I think it's pretty no-brainer, the Game Master just assigns you another secret destiny. Assigning them randomly might be pretty fun, too. That would be cool. Oh, you pull them out of a hat. Yeah, roll. just just roll a, roll a die. And... Uh, uh, like, you get a top hat with some p- pieces of paper inside that have the different destinies written on them. Absolutely, I like that. I like that. If I pulled Unleashed out of there, that would be insane. That would be cool. I like yeah. that idea. And, and remember, the Unleashed destiny is just the 
Discovery Destiny. Yeah. It's just the uh, just a flavored version of the Destiny. Um, but yeah, and so in a game where players choose their own destiny, I assume you just choose it maybe sometime after, uh, maybe a little bit of a cooling off period in between destinies. During a time skip. Yeah, during a time skip, and then uh, and then they pick their new destiny. I, I think it's um, I think it's not terribly important when or how they pick the new destiny, but um, whatever works for your table, whatever makes sense to you. That's all I have right now on destinies. If we've missed anything. Please tell us. I don't. I think Stephen did an incredible job. Thank you. Compiling this this pile of destiny for us to sift through bucket by bucket for sure. Thank you much. Uh, we're at that point of the episode where Stephen and I talk about how grateful we are and how cool it is if you would be a patron for the show. <laughs> how cool it would be, rather. Um, before that, though, I want to shout out uh, Stephen, little literalist, front of, the, front of the show. And a reviewer of the Dark Times podcast. Wow. He gave us five stars on Spotify. Well, hey, that's just that's just amazing. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. We appreciate it. Uh, even if he gave us one star on Spotify, I would still do the shout out because that's just the kind of person I am. <laughs> uh, if you have something you want to talk about, on the, you want us to talk about on the show, you can reach out to us via email, darktimesswse at gmail.com. We've also got a Twitter, darktimesswse on Twitter. And then the Patreon, Stephen. We we talked about this last week. Yes, it's, it's it's there now. It's there. It's up. My full color, full republishing of my exploration guide for Saga Edition is on the Patreon. This is, of course, accessible through other means. You can find it on the subreddit where I originally posted it. But what I did is I took all that info, refined it, did a little bit of rewriting here and there, uh, refined the rules, added some additional optional rules, and added beautiful graphics inspired by the design layout of the official saga edition core rule books. Um, if you want to know how to bring wilderness exploration or exploration in deep space to your saga edition campaign, I strongly recommend you get on that Patreon and check it out. I'm really proud of these rules. They've served us really well in our campaign, Sam. We've used them many a time and I just think they're solid. They're great for unknown regions as well. For 100%. Like that. I've ran hex crawls in the unknown regions more than once using these rules. And honestly, I, I just think they're great. Yeah. So that's available for all patrons on the Patreon, $5 and up, uh, as well as when you become a patron, you get a shout out, which we talk about at this part of the episode. 100%. Or we would if there were any more patrons. You also get access to the maps I made. Any maps I make, I usually put them up there. Yep. Steven might put some up there at some time. Yep. Um, this week I got a skill challenge going up that we yes. ran on Sunday. Very um, fun skill challenge. Steven's going to put it up on there. Uh, let's give it, it's, it's a It's a space race. It's a space race. Space it's race. A, it's a Wes Yashir hotshot pilot has challenged underdog Tully uh, to a, a race through the Bathawi system. And uh, there's a couple twists in there that I think uh, people will appreciate. It's great. I, it's it's a skill challenge, which I think is an underappreciated, but still very cool part of the system. And we're not going to give anything more away on there. It's only for the patrons. Also, since we're going to be talking about it more after the break, the builds... The builds at time of listening. Our patrons get to vote for our build showcase. The only ones who get showcase. to do so. I don't even. They don't even let me vote. Yeah. On the build showcase, <laughs> buddy. They don't even <laughs> let me vote for the builds. Uh. So yeah, that's how we do all that stuff. And I know over the future we've got more things in the pipeline. There's, uh, I've got we got more level one characters we need to put on the Patreon. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Stephen mm-hmm. and I want to start working on during the show and then compiling for the Patreon. Uh. A, a Star Wars Saga Edition module, maybe yeah. something 
early level, dark times based. Something dead simple you could pick up and play Swiss you've never heard about it before. The goal is by the end of that module, your players will have a very, very good understanding of the system. Yes, indeed. And that's all I can think of. Anything else you want to promote, Stephen? I think I think that's it. That's all I got. All right, let's get back to it. Sam, it's it's that day. We've made it. Today's the day. The Empire, uh, they've... Darth Vader's looking at his watch, and he's tapping, and he's telling me we've got to wrap it up. So we are here with our builds, Stephen. Our, the prompt for those who are not aware was a level 10 character with one level of infiltrator or saboteur. The Empire's after this bounty big time. Let's see who you guys brought to us. Uh, Yoshi Ketsu brought us uh, a, a little readout from Balmoran Arms. Uh, oh, Corp. good. Very good. Balmoran Arms is offering a sizable reward for the return of B4NG, a Type B munitions detection model. As you are likely aware, the Type B line has long since been recalled. This was due to the oversensitive nature of its munitions scanning software. Unfortunately, B4NG was initially deployed to an area which did not contain any munitions to detect. Instead of registering the area as clear, B4NG's software regarded this as a detection failure. In order to find explosives, the droid's recourse was to acquire relevant components in the area and assemble them. This programming error has resulted in B4NG turning almost all objects into its immediate area into explosive devices. Do not approach the droid directly. It may detonate an explosive device if you do so. Real quick. This is so funny. I love this. Have you heard of that one drone a team of engineers was building that was supposed to fly to an area, find a target, and then land on it? No. So what it ended up doing is it thought it found a, like, wormhole, like a warp portal, because it would move out of bounds (laughs) and then be shut down by the engineers and then moved closer (laughs) to its target. So it, it used machine learning to... So it just kept leaving the area, turning off, and then waking up closer to where its destination yes, was supposed to be. because it was using machine learning, it found that this was the most efficient way, or at least it no, thought it was. that's so funny. So that, that little anecdote reminded me of, of uh, Bang here. B4NG is a stock probe droid, nice. <laughs> which I very much enjoy. Absolutely. We got seven levels of soldier, a level of independent droid, a level of saboteur, and a level of elite trooper. Um... I love droid builds for these. They're great. They make great bosses. They're the droid builds get a lot more upgrades than non than organic builds would get. For they these sort they of get things. a little. They get quite hammy, and, so and since, that's just Sue's style. I mean, this is the second droid you sent in. That's, that's I love like, it. It's so great. It's so great. I think <laughs> the last build you submitted was Pack, which yes. was really cool as well. So great. Uh, Balmoran Arms and Superior Tech upgrade Bang's uh, intelligence <laughs> to twenty two at level ten, which is. Insane. That's kind of nuts, yeah. It's got skill focus in both mechanics and perception, and also has a specialized subprocessor for mechanics, which is an upgrade for droids that allows you an extra swift action per turn to use uh, an application of the mechanic skill. Oh. It's insane. Demolitionist talent times five, uh, granting 10 plus 10 dice of damage for explosives. Oh, no. Um, The smallest explosive I could find was a 6d6. Uh, for 250 credits. I is think. that a frag grenade? Uh, no, it's a mine. I'm mine, okay, Sorry. okay. Not, not grenades, mines. Mines, mine mines, specifically. Mines. That's right. Mine. Uh, was 66. So 16d6 after five uses of demolitionist, demolitionist talent. Oh, God. Uh, the scavenger talent allows Bang to build both the mines and the detonators for the mines. Okay, I was wondering if we'd see scavenger here. And that's a, that's a feat, not a talent, yeah? Uh, scavenger is a... Feet, yes. Feet, yeah. 
uh, also has the skilled demolitionist talent, which is a talent, uh, allows the set off of mines as a swift action. The mine mastery talent, whereas normally mines require a full round action to set, now it's a standard action. I think I know where this is going. Available with the adaptable talent feat because level one infiltrators don't get a talent. Oh, no, they do. Yeah. Do they? Yeah. Oh, yes, but mine mastery is a second talent that needs a, has a prereq on the same talent tree. That's okay, why. Okay, cool. Uh, the quick draw feat combined with spring loaded mines and detonators means draw mine slash detonators as a free action. So basically, you can draw, set, move, and detonate a mine in one turn. Wow. The cheapest mine is the bounding mine, 250 credits and 66 base damage. Uh, with the demolitionist talents, makes it a 16 D6 damage in a three square splash. Three square splash? Yes. You're clearing a whole room. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Oh. Now, let's get into the nitty gritty of this. Okay. I awesome. love this build, Steven. What's However, would does the scavenger feat allow you to build items and upgrade those items? Yeah. It does? Yeah, let me read it to you right Go now. For it. You spend one hour scavenging materials from other vehicles or objects. When you do so, you make a perception check to determine the value of the part scavenged. You produce raw materials equal in value to the result of your perception check times 30 credits. You must apply these raw materials for the cost of the construction of a single object, the build object. You can scavenge parts for only a single object at any given time. Additionally, you can scavenge raw materials only once for any given object you're attempting to build. So once for the mine, once for the trigger. But for the upgrades for those things. You can do it for upgrades. You can build you can upgrades. Do it for upgrades. Yeah. You can build upgrades straight up. Upgrades are equipment. All right. Yeah, absolutely. So wait, wait. No, so upgrades are equipment. When it comes to building things, yeah. But can I, I can't build mines that are pre-spring loaded. You can build a mine and then build a spring loaded upgrade. That works for yeah, me. Yeah. All right. That was my only thing about this. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own Sam on the air with, with some sick facts and logic. <laughs> absolutely dominated. Yeah, for sure. I, I submit. I've been dominated. <laughs> um, the only other thing I was concerned about for the build object rules, it doesn't mm-hmm. actually say you can build mines. It says you can build tiny weapons. Yeah. And technically, my explosives are a separate uh, section of, of the equipment rather than weapons. Yeah. But I'd say it counts. I see no reason why a player couldn't build a mine. I mean, come on. Uh, now, we also have... Let me let me take you back. We're okay. going back to the dawn of the Old Republic. Great build. Thanks, Sue. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Again, thank yeah. you, Sue. Sorry, we yeah. ju- I've got four of these to go through, so yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, Iroh sent in uh, another readout for a different... A bounty oh, or for, a, for a different another character. old republic. Uh, Adraska Corporation has created new Arcanian offshoot clones specializing in mechanical engineering. The first 12 of these series were sold off to the highest bidding mercenary groups. All 12, obviously, gained sentience and escaped. The Mark VI, who took the name uh, Xeria or Shiria, depending on how you pronounce it, X-E-R-I-A-A, was hunted down by bounty hunters after being on the run and specialized in explosives. After being captured by a bounty hunter guild known as the Elite Commandos, she was freed by her brother, Mark Zero, and his allies. Her brother also specialized in explosives, and they joined the Republic military against the Mandalorians. Her new arrangement is not too bad. She has friends who are loyal and protect her. She can elude every bounty hunter thrown at her, and she can make lots of things explode. Well, I love that. Arcanian Offshoot is a near-human sort of clone kind of thing going on. Yeah. Uh, Scout 3, Scoundrel 3, Soldier 1, Infiltrator 1, Saboteur 1. So... You don't get double points for doing both parts of the... <laughs> nope, you don't, but I'm glad you managed to get both in there. That's kind of cool. It's great, it's great. So this is another explosives build, but this is more stealth-focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shiria Big Bang Mark Six has a stealth field generator, provides concealment as a swift action. 
The total concealment talent from the camouflage talent tree makes total concealment for a swift action. Oh, shit. Instead of normal concealment. That's a big deal. It is really cool. Uh, also, the mind mastery talent, which we talked about earlier. Uh, so you can set mines with total concealment, then use lure closer to draw enemies into hidden mines. Mines have a minus five against perception checks to notice them. Ooh. Um, I couldn't find rules specifically on what the role is to conceal a mine. I checked under stealth. I checked under the mines well, page. You just put a little sheet over it, yeah? Just a little. Yeah, I just buried a little. But we yeah. presume, so some of the mines are specified as being buried mines. Oh, okay. So I assume setting those off implies that you are putting them under now, on, so, underground. Yeah, cool. Oh, yeah. And it, I, actually, I did find, I wasn't sure about that. Uh, it does say mines straight up all take a minus five penalty uh, to, to notice them. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. But I don't know what the DC is to roll. <laughs> is the pro- oh, <laughs> That's my problem. Is oh, I don't know what the number they're rolling against to notice. Yeah, you might just use a tiny object. The mechanics check that you use to do it? Maybe. Yeah, shit. That's a... Yeah. That's a weird one. That's, that's a, weird a weird one. one. Maybe um, just use the default for a stationary tiny object, um, and then the hope the penalty is to perception. Help. If you have any suggestions, please reach out to Absolutely, us. Absolutely, please do. Uh, However, uh, Zyria also has grenades with flash and clear feet, giving her total concealment. Wow. If you don't want to use the swift action to activate the belt because the belt only has five uses. Forceful blast moves enemies damaged by grenades by one square in any direction you choose, which is really cool. Angled throw with grenades ignores all cover except total cover from grenades. And they also have the artillery shot feet. Um, it increases burst and splash for weapons. Would you allow this for grenades slash explosives? Yeah, sure. Steven says, yeah, sure. Yeah. So like, that's fine. like, that's I mean, yeah, like, well, no, it sounds fun. Alrighty. Um, uh, thanks, Iroh. Love that we keep seeing shit from you. It's so cool. Yeah. Uh, also, not to plug anything, but the the wiki is doing a, a build contest, and Iro submitted a a hot elite trooper for it. No which way. I really like. That's so cool. I didn't it's see really that. cool. That's awesome. Our next submission is an assassin who will force you to submit. Oh, you promise? <laughs> disgusting you sickened me uh submitted by ben who submitted a multi-attack jedi in the past thank you ben uh, attention imperial officers danger in your area an escaped worker may be targeting officers in your area he should be considered armed and dangerous and has been known to hide himself within the slave population or climb the cliffs to access critical areas if found do not engage in close quarters combat this yuzum has been known to crush his victims and is believed to be surviving by eating the officers that he takes into the hills. Whoa. Use extreme caution as he can down Imperial personnel and carry them off without warning. <laughs> this is Boulder, the Yuzum infiltrator. Like a Yuzum a- is a is a large species, uh, not dissimilar to a Wookiee, but, wow. but large instead of being medium. Oh, sure enough. Yeah, he's a big guy. Yeah, he's got the the picture of those guys is weird looking. Definitely something that was in Legends and not in canon. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got Scout 3, Soldier 4, Scoundrel 1, Infiltrator 2. Improved stealth and hidden movement allows a reroll to stealth and no limit to move speed while stealthing. Uh, he does get a minus 5 to stealth from size, being a large creature, but it's counteracted by the camouflage pod show that he has. Silent takedown. Any unaware enemy that is damaged cannot speak or make noise until the end of his next turn. Hey. He has on his shoulder an enlarged droidified snare pistol. Huh. Which allows a grab slash grapple at short range. And since it's a droidified snare pistol, I don't know if you would allow it to do that as a swift action to do its basic function. Like a, like as a system action? As a system action, yeah. Oh, man, that's definitely, that's GM fiat right there. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a up great to the area. GM. Yeah. Uh, dash release strike and stunning strike means unaware enemies are taken two steps down the condition track when hit. Ouch. Bone crusher uh, means when you, I, th- I believe bone crusher's a feat. I think you're right, yeah. Uh, when you deal damage to a grapple opponent, the opponent moves one step down the condition track. Uh, use them have claws, paired with martial arts one to three and shock boxing gloves. 
comes to, I couldn't find, Stephen and I talked about this, I couldn't find confirmation on this being wrong. Uh, the martial arts increases the damage die for your unarmed attacks. Yosem start with 1d8, uh, bringing it up with 3 to 1d20. Okay, yeah, we gotta talk about this. Um, I swear I saw it on the FAQ, we couldn't find it. The general wisdom, as far as I understand it, is you don't let your players increase the damage die for their unarmed attacks to 1d20, even if it seems technically possible. Cap that shit at 1d12. If they can somehow push it beyond that, give them 2d12. Um, I don't think a, a damage die should ever be 1d20. <laughs> Just That's, <laughs> that's yeah. fair. No, yeah. I, but as a player, I love it. <laughs> sure. Uh, Boulder, uh, since Boulder is uh, Infiltrator 2, they have the stun damage increase to unarmed attacks, which makes it 2d20 plus 11 stun damage for shock boxing gloves. Ow. So if you're if you've been keeping a track along I was with gonna say, me, I've been doing some math on my fingers here. That's minus five of the condition track. That's to a grapple enemy. That's a CT killer. Yes, he's back. The CT killer. <laughs> the CT killer is at large. Um, so that's thank you so much, Ben. I love this. Love idea. it, Ben. I, this guy's a monster. Um, I, I love him. I didn't write down in here, but he also has a climb reroll, which is oh, <laughs> sick. Yeah. So mountains. imagine you're sitting on like a hill. You're sitting on a cliff and you're a stormtrooper and this fucking like eight foot tall Spider-Man like grabs up and like rips you down <laughs> and no one notices it happen. Very Hitman. I, I like it. <laughs> very, very cool. Very kind of a kind of a primal twist on the on the prompt. I, I kind of like it. I love it. We talked about you. You you compared it to Predator. Yeah. Last night yeah. When we were talking about it. Just like Predator. Uh, last but not least, a submission from Stephen Little Literalist. Little Literalist. Uh, Little Literalist. Grisk Kratul was one of the rare cases of a non-human, or in this case a Bothan, working for the Empire. Working for an Imperial Moth, taking care of the Moth's dirty work for him. One day, he returned from an assignment to discover that his wife and newborn pup had disappeared while he was away. Victims of the Empire's non-human doctrine. Grisk used the credits he had earned working for the Empire to bankroll his own private fight against it becoming an avatar of vengeance against the Empire while still following any clues that he could to discover the fate of his wife and child. It's a Bothan ex-Imperial we're looking Pretty at. Cool. Scout 3, Soldier 4, Infiltrator 3. Uh, the Bothan Spinet Talent Tree has knowledge's power, which increases critical thre- uh, threat range, and this stacks with Fleche and Achani Template for Vibro Knucklers as a weapon, changing uh, the number to hit for a critical hit on a f- charge to being 15 plus. So if you hit at 15 while you're charging, it counts as a crit. And that's insane. This build's really weird. I love it. I love it. It's really weird. Yeah. Uh, he has a combat implant, which allows him to use vibro knucklers without minus five from not being trained in advanced melee weapons. I didn't like know about the combat implant before. This is really cool. It is great. But without implant training, when you get down the condition track, you go down two steps instead of one. Oh, actually, he also has slip by improved stealth, Reflex, uh, sorry, reflex shadow skin armor upgrade and stealth field generator. Ooh. So he can reroll stealth to avoid attacks opportunity when charging from one enemy to the next. Ooh. Instead of doing a tumble or something like that. Yeah, that's really cool. Unarmed stun increases unarmed attack dice. Achani training plus hammer blow. Both of those things, what they do is they double your strength bonus to unarmed attacks. Now, there's two ways you can go about this. Yeah. You can quadruple your strength bonus to unarmed attacks, or you could technically triple it. Instead, it, yeah, it's uh, so I don't like quadrupling it, and I feel like it's definitely not tripling it. Like I, I like that's like that's like a, a area of math that I don't think applies to to TTRPGs generally. Um, quadrupling it, 
as we all know, it does appear that that's possible and even easy. You're doubling it yeah, twice. Doubling it twice. In my games, me, just me, I try to discourage that sort of thing. But here, I think it works really well. <laughs> um, that's another area of GM fiat. Can you double strength mods twice? Uh, most people say yes because it's fun. I I can't I can't hate on fun. <laughs> yeah, this is an anti-fun podcast, Stephen. That's afterwards. If you have fun playing Saga Edition, stop listening right now. <laughs> I don't want that here. And um, also to finish it up, uh, the Bothan X Imperial has Indomitable and Shake It Off to help keep the character uh, oh conscious oh, during yeah. contact. That makes sense. I like during this combat, guy. rather super. Um, I don't know. Reminds me of that that just that kind of cool, like elusive, stealth, punchy guy. Absolutely. Um, just neat. I imagine him slurking around I, and then suddenly punching people. I imagine like like a private eye, like a 30s yeah. kind of like. Yeah. Grizzled, dark yeah. past. Yeah. Like punching out the mobsters and Nazis. Very noir. I think. Very noir. Yeah. I, I do like that for Star Wars. I was hoping someone would give us like a noir guy. Because like. Ap- this is it. This is absolutely it. it. Yeah. This is a Star Wars. Uh, the Star Wars lens of noir character. 100%. Uh, thank you. Little Literalist. Steven, really appreciate your contributions on here. All of these builds will be available in the description. Yep. And if you want to vote for who's going to win this build showcase, get on our Patreon, drop five bucks, and then cancel the subscription if you have to, you know, if that's what you want, just to vote for your own build. Totally. That's fine. Sure. Yeah, Go right ahead. Totally. Whatever you want to do. Um, the winner will be announced next week, and then we will announce our next build showcase, or maybe we won't. Um, I don't know. You can say. Really. Yeah, only time can tell what happens <laughs> in the future, and yeah. you're not time, Steven. Steven, I have got a piece of trivia for us. Oh, very good. Yeah, I, I kind of missed out, I think, last week and the week before. I've been oh, yeah. Slacking, oh, but yeah. I've got one. And if you have Cool Star Wars trivia, please send it our way. Send it in, please. And don't tell us about Mace Windu's purple lightsaber. Everyone knows about that one. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know uh, Carrie Fisher, during the filming of the original trilogy, photocopied her breasts and handed them out to random crew members because she jokingly offered to auction off the chance to take off her boob tape, and everyone was really into it. <laughs> wow. I, that's... Gosh. And she was 19. Yep. Hey, well... <laughs> she was 19. <laughs> hey, that's... Yeah, it's weird. I, I'm, it's a weird I'm one. I'm sorry. I'm just a little stunned about that one. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, good for her for photoshopping... For, no, sorry. Photocopying her breasts and handing them out to people. But on the other end, it's a very bad work environment to be in. Strange. Hollywood's Hollywood's different. <laughs> well, it's probably more fun when you're on Coke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening to the Dark Times Podcast. My name is Sam. I produce and edit the show. Steven here is my co-host. You can email us at... DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on Twitter, DarkTimesSWSE. We've got the Patreon in the description. There's the the, the SAG Edition subreddit in the description. There's the SAG Edition Discord in the description. Check all those resources out there. Helpful to you as a player or GM. Steven, do you have a quote for us this week? Death is a natural part of life. Rejoice for those around you who transform into the force. Very nice. Very nice. It wasn't a funny one. No. Usually you give a funny one. Yeah, I usually do. <laughs> Are we ending it there? Is that it? Good night. Good night. <laughs>
I did. What if I just did a Patrick Warburton instead? Uh, Joey here says you're looking for passage to the Alderaan system. <laughs> Fuck me. That's funny. That shot was one in a million, kid. Let's go home. Blow this thing. Whoa. Go home. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Fucked up. That shot was one in a million. Whoa, that was crazy. Did, did, yeah, that showed up on the waveform. Of course Fuck it, it did. Look at that.